0: All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show.
1: It was because I was living a lie, in the sense that I was living someone else's dream. Someone else was telling me what to do. I wasn't being my true self. And this, I'm sure, can be relatable to, to all, to many And it was just some dark times, you know, it was some dark times.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the At the End of the Tunnel podcast. So in this episode, we're going to hear about the story of a man who was dissatisfied with his lucrative career as a broker while also quietly battling with depression. And after randomly catching that movie, The Motorcycle Diaries, on television one night, Leon Logothetis decided to quit his job in the family business and go on an adventure. The catch was, he couldn't take any money, and in order to get from place to place, he had to rely solely on the kindness of strangers. Plus, he had to get somebody new to feed him every day and to house him each night. I know, sounds crazy, right? Well, The kindness had a two-way street because whenever he crossed paths with somebody who was especially kind to him, he would return their kindness in a unique way of his own. Leon ended up exploring this special kind of travel a few times, and he went on to film his adventures, write books about them, and thus The Kindness Diaries was born. Eventually, Leon's adventures even landed him on the platform of all platforms, Netflix. And there are currently two seasons of The Kindness Diaries that you can watch. And now we're going to hear the backstory of what inspired Leon Logothetis to take that initial leap of faith that has in turn inspired the world. I've been fortunate to call Leon a friend for several years now, and his bravery and curiosity and his unfiltered kindness still inspires me to this day. And I think hearing Leon's backstory will also inspire you. Without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce you to Mr. Leon Logothetis. So, Leon, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I always like to start these conversations by talking about childhood. And what would you say, thinking back to your childhood, what would you say was the toy or activity that you remember enjoying the most
1: oh that's an easy one i thought you were gonna hit me with a real curveball there but (laughs) you're you're clever so you ask the easy questions first that's right Um, (laughs) i would say definitely soccer i loved playing Uh soccer i loved reading about soccer i loved watching soccer and it was something that really kept me going in many ways i know that sounds melodramatic but it really was something that kept me in the, in the moment.
0: What was it about soccer that, that kept you going? What did you love about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I loved the game. I was uh, very competitive. So I liked winning and I didn't like losing. Let's put it that way. And I grew up in England and England is a very big soccer country. I mean, it's, it's called football in England, but I'll call it soccer. And, you know, we would play at school. And when I came home from school, I'd play at home and then when I went to bed, I'd read, read newspapers and magazines about soccer. It was just kind of like being in in the zone, you know. Is that how like, you
0: made friends, or is that how you felt like you were able to kind of prove something to yourself or to your family? Do you remember any kind of intentions like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not so sure about proving anything to my family, but it was a way to make friends. But it was just like being in flow and and not having to worry about. Everyday life and being kind of in the zone and being like Bruce Lee said, in no mind. When I was playing soccer, that's where I was.
0: What was your favorite position?
1: Well, that's interesting. I used to be a goalkeeper, but then for many years I was a keeper and then I always wanted the glory. And as a goalkeeper, you don't really have much (laughs) glory. So I switched and became a striker. Just for the glory. Basically, yes.
0: Okay. Were you a better striker than you were a goalkeeper? I think
1: I was actually. I think I was definitely a better striker than I was a goalkeeper, yeah.
0: Mm. I remember reading in one of your first books, it was your second book actually, you, you told a story about something that your coach had said to you around being a striker. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I don't remember exactly what I said in the book, but basically, so I was a goalkeeper and I wanted to become a striker. And, you know, that's kind of the opposite of being a goalkeeper. And I was a striker. I played five or six games and I was just useless. And, uh, he kept on telling me, keep going, keep going. I believe in you. I believe in you. And I kept going and I kept going. And then I became really good. And I would, I remember hearing him on the, on the sidelines saying, giving it to, give it to the Greek, give it to the Greek. <laughs> and that was like amazing. Cause he was the coach and he was like, give the ball to Leon. Give the bull to Leon because, you know, Leon knows what he's doing. I think that's what he meant anyway.
0: It's funny because I read your book. I didn't like read it in preparation for this interview. I read it, you know, years ago back when it first came out. But that was a passage that really st- stuck out to me. And I remember it kind of tearing up a little bit because – you, in the book, you had said that the coach he asked you first, "Do you believe in yourself and you didn't kind of you were at a loss for words if I remember correctly, and then he told you he believed in you is that am I remembering it correctly
1: yeah, pretty much i mean that sounds like something he would say, and definitely it uh, jives with my memory i mean you know he would he was very positive and I didn't believe in myself and sometimes you need someone else to believe in you for you to wake up to your own magnificence.
0: Was he one of the first people in your life to express that so directly?
1: Do you know, I had another teacher before him when I was like 13, 14, if my memory serves me correct, and she would do the same thing. And I would feel like she believed in me. I would feel like she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And because she saw it in me, slowly, slowly, over a period of years, I started to see it in myself. And that's really one of the reasons why I do what I do. And I go around to schools and and, and speak, and I see kids that don't believe in themselves. And uh, you
0: you also had some experience with being bullied as a kid, as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Feeling very alone, very broken. And, you know, on the outside, I lived a very coddled life. I, I had everything you could ever want. But on the inside, I had nothing you would want.
0: What was your mental state like when you were when you were growing up and you were privileged and having having those experiences?
1: I was very shy, I felt very alone, I felt totally unseen, and that's really one of the reasons why I do what i do
0: um mm. who, because who, who you, did you talk to about that when you were a kid though no
1: Anyone? one no one and that's why there are so many kids and not just kids but adults feel so unseen mm. and that's why the message of being seen and feeling someone's essence and making them feel valued is mm-hmm. so important
0: okay so just to kind of flash forward a little bit you go through i'm assuming you went to university you yeah i went to university. your education you're finishing yeah. your education and then what happens
1: i end up working in the city of london in a brokerage firm. And I knew from from a young age, I never wanted to do that. But it was kind of, I don't want to say forced upon me, but certainly it was kind of, I felt that that was my destiny. Other people's dream was for me to do that. And I did that. And I did it for a few years. And I think many people can relate to doing something that they really hate. But there, there's, no, there's a sense of fear about changing one's direction in life. And that's what happened to me.
0: And at that point, again, I, I like to f- speak to everything through the lens of a kind of, of a mental state because, you know, when people talk about experiencing anxiety or depression as adults, it usually was not something that they experienced as a young child. And I'm just wondering in your in your case, because you talked about this also in the book about your your battle with depression. I'm wondering when that actually first Began. When did you first know that that was things that shifted internally and then you found yourself sort of wrestling with that?
1: I'd say 15 or 16. When I went from middle school to high school. It's a little bit mm-hmm. different in England, but it was around that age. And it was at that age that uh, it just all started to fall apart inside.
0: Mm-hmm. So then once you you started working for the brokerage firm in London, that it was a, just a, every day was you're, – you're experiencing some sort of battle in, internally.
1: Oh, 100%. And I think and most it, of us are, right? It's not, it's not like mm-hmm. it's a unique thing. It doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars in the bank or if you have no money in the bank. The, right. the, the feelings are the same.
0: Did you feel guilty because you had so much material success and yet you weren't happy? at the time, because this was back before, you know, speaking about mental health was, was a
1: commonly accepted thing. 100%. How can you, I would say this to me, myself, what's wrong with you? How can you be depressed? How can you be overeating? How can you drink too much when you have everything? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Day in, day out.
0: you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is happy. All right, back to the episode. Yeah. And so what 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 happened? How did you finally kind of deal with that?
1: Well, it's a process really, but when I was 19 years old, I went to my first therapist. And mm-hmm. I've been to many since, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's the, it's the willingness and the desire to share your pain that Mm -hmm. set me free. And Mm -hmm. so many of us, even today feel weak when we share our pain or, you know, you know, what about the starving kids? I can't share my pain or, or they don't want to face their pain. And Mm -hmm. I share this in my speeches. I'm like, look, if you don't share your pain, it will consume you. If you don't share your pain, it will destroy you. If you do share your pain, it will set you free. And that truly is the secret to life. But you have to do it with someone safe. Like if I go out and share my pain with someone who doesn't understand, they're gonna make me feel worse. Right. you have gotta find someone that gets it, someone that feels it, someone that understands it, someone that has empathy, someone that is caring, someone that holds your vulnerability instead of squashes it.
0: Right. And even with multiple – I mean with certain therapists, you have to find the right fit in order to feel like you're safe enough to be able to open up in that way.
1: 100% you can find a therapist that's that's perfectly good for someone else but is terrible for you. And you've got to find that right balance because if you're in a vulnerable state with someone who you're sharing your pain with and they react in the wrong way, it can do a tremendous amount of damage.
0: So, you know, after we're going to get to this point where you leave the brokerage firm and you go through the next steps of becoming who you are right now, was there any inkling of vision or any sort of idea that one day you may be traveling around the world and spreading kindness and doing all the things that you're doing now back when you were at the brokerage firm? Did you have any idea, any any sort of premonitions when you were coming up that your life would
1: go in that direction at all? Absolutely not. I had no idea. And sometimes when I look back at it now, I'm like, whoa, what what the hell just happened?
0: What did you think was going to happen? What did you think your life was going to amount to if you were projecting your, your, your life into the future as you were working at the brokerage
1: firm? Look, I thought that I would... I mean, that's a very good question. I mean, uh, it wasn't going to end well. Let's put it that way. No, really, really wasn't going to end well. I mean, it was, it was again, on the outside, You people would look at me and they'd be like, oh, you've got everything. You know, you're so strong. After I'd kind of had my, my meltdown, one of my many. And when they saw me having the meltdown, they'd be like, I can't believe it. I can't believe that this happened to you.
0: Talk about that for a second what what is the what kind of meltdown are you referring to what does that What does that mean for someone who's never had a meltdown
1: <laughs> light Mr light watkins do I really have to answer that question i will <laughs> I, guess, I guess there's no point in coming on your on your show if I don't speak my truth eh? right yeah <laughs> well, I was doing this family thing uh, it was actually a family brokerage firm. Mm -hmm. and it was just too much for me. Uh, My meltdown was kind of a very dark depression. I would say probably drinking a little bit too much. I would say that I was you know, overeating. I was, I don't know about clinically depressed, but I could very well have been clinically depressed. It was because I was living a lie in the sense that I was living someone else's dream. Someone else was telling me what to do. I wasn't being my truest self. And this I'm sure can be relatable to to all, to many. It was just some dark times, you know. So it wasn't just one day
0: or one episode. It it, it lasted over multiple, yeah, multiple yeah, days, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and also, I I would say you know this man. You know, you know that however much you go on the right path, there are always times when you fall off that path. So however you know enlightened you may be, whatever that word means, but however enlightened you may be. There's still darkness waiting to devour you. Right? Would uh, you
0: show up to work drunk, or like what's like one? No, no,
1: no, no, no. It was more. It was more kind of you know like binge drinking. Mm. It wasn't. It wasn't alcoholism per se, but it was. It was binge drinking. It was just drinking too much. It was eating too much. It was. It was not looking after myself. It was sometimes an inability to get out of bed. It was. Mm. Stuff like that, like being at work and being like, why the hell am I here? Like, what am I doing?
0: And at what point did you just decide, I just can't do this anymore? And, and what, what was that moment like?
1: Well, that's an interesting point. So, so I basically watched the movie, The Motorcycle Diaries. Which what made a, you what, watch
0: that movie? Did you go totally by yourself? Random.
1: It was totally random. I just like turned on the t v one day
0: by yourself and, in your yeah. in your flat in London, yeah,
1: yeah, and it was on. It was about to come on, and uh, I just watched it, and I was just mesmerized by it because it's a romanticized version of Che Guevara traveling around South America, relying on kindness, and the interesting part was in the movie, Che's Father wanted him to stay and be a doctor, and he's mm-hmm. like, No, I'm leaving, so he left. And then he goes on these adventures and he connects with all these amazing people and he has good days and he has bad days, but he finds himself in the eyes of others.
0: And he's living on kindness, right? The kindness of strangers?
1: Basically, basically, yes.
0: And so then what did you, what was your thought after watching that movie?
1: I was like, look, there's another way to live. I don't have to Mm. sit behind this desk anymore. I don't have to follow other people's dreams the people live from their hearts, not just from their heads. It's not just all about making money. There's a whole – like humanity is waiting to embrace you, the good and the bad. It was just a, an, a, an awakening.
0: So then do you go to work the next day and tell everybody to kiss your ass or, or how does it work? How do you extricate well, yourself it's from It's
1: difficult to tell your father to go kiss your ass. So no, I never did that. <laughs> um, what did look, you do? I just, I just, it took me a little bit of time. It wasn't like an an overnight thing, but that was the moment. Once that happened, I knew that it was done. Mm-hmm. And I just told them, look, guys, it's, it's, I can't do this anymore. Clearly, I'm not functioning properly. Clearly, this isn't something that I'm able to continue to do. And I want to, to move on, and I did.
0: And they just said, okay.
1: Well, I don't know about that, but they didn't try to stop me. Well, they couldn't have stopped me. I feel like so many people are
0: in that Exact same situation, you know, because you have the biggest influence in a lot of people's lives are their family. And if your family has been fortunate enough to have their own business and that business is fortunate enough to be successful and to provide for so many people, and that it's become sort of a heritage in people's families and they want to keep it going, yet you don't want to have anything to do with that for whatever reason, that's got to be one of the most difficult things to do is to pull away from that, particularly if it involves you being a part of some financial gain associated with, with that relationship. So can you
1: talk a little bit about that in,
0: in terms of your decision
1: making? Yeah. I mean sometimes pain pushes you to make decisions that you wouldn't make if you weren't in pain. Mm-hmm. And this is rela- this I would imagine is relatable to many and you know we try we spend our lives trying to f- fight pain trying to not allow pain into our lives but pain is a is a great teacher and had i not been in pain i would not have quit and the quitting enabled me to be sitting here talking to you it enabled me to like have adventures and to share my stories with the world and and to be touched by many many people's magnificence throughout my journeys around the world
0: so that movie it turned a light on inside of you was that light bright enough though for you to be able to see conversations like this and netflix episodes and, and all the speaking that you've been doing around the world or did you just think i just need to just be out in the world and just be myself for a little while and whatever's going to happen after that is going to be great.
1: Yeah, no, I never thought about Netflix and Netflix wasn't <laughs> even around. That. It, was, it, was right. still, it was still Blockbuster. But I just
0: mean like a platform. Did you think that other people were going to see me doing this journey and get inspired?
1: No, not really, not at all. So then what was driving you? Something beyond my conscious mind. Mm-hmm. What was driving me was to, to live a beautiful life what was driving me was to connect with the world what was driving me was a desire to travel
0: did the pain stop or did it shift into a manageable in a manageable way after you left the brokerage firm
1: yeah i don't think it stopped there were moments you know when i was traveling when i was on my adventures when you know i wasn't in pain but you know you have to come home you have to come back to reality at times Uh, Unless you create a life that is just beyond your wildest dreams, which is something we all continue to work on. But no, I don't think the pain disappeared, but it got much better. There's no Mm. doubt about that.
0: And so take take us through you quit the job and then Mm. now you're off the beaten path. You're in your tunnel Mm. moment. Or maybe you were even in the tunnel in the pain and now you've kind of turned the light on inside. And so you can kind of see a little bit, okay – this is my path, what happens next? You've seen the movie, you've quit the job, you've potentially cut yourself off from inheriting whatever from your family. What, what happens next?
1: Well, I had a friend who was in the TV world and he was not very high up in the TV world, but he was a director, he had some contacts. So I said to him, I want to do a, a show. Bear in mind, I'd never done anything like this. I want to do a show where I walk across America relying on the kindness of strangers and he looked at me like i was a nut job and said how on earth are you going to do that i said i don't know let's just do it and we're like well he's like all right so i went to Times square and i hitchhiked from Times square to the hollywood sign with basically no money relying entirely on the kindness of strangers
0: why america as opposed to europe
1: well i I had actually done like a test run in england but america because i grew up in in you know England watching american movies watching american tv shows the a team dallas and there was something about america america was like a beacon of hope a beacon of light and it was like free you felt like a sense of freedom so i wanted to do it in america and i always wanted to do a road trip in america so that's why and what was
0: the test run like if you could just talk a little bit about that
1: yeah it was it was interesting like we started in london and we did like a all the way up to scotland and back down to london and it was amazing I, I met some just incredible people. I met some not incredible people too, but that's fine that's part of life and it was something that that really opened my eyes it opened my heart it opened so many more avenues for me to to live in a different way
0: Did you have to read like Google hitchhiking, or how did you know? How did you know how to hitchhike, and so that you could work out those kinks in the test
1: run? I just went to London and started from London and headed north.
0: Uh huh.
1: Where in London it. did
0: you did you catch your first ride?
1: I I used to live in Queensway, so I walked out of my apartment and walked across Hyde Park, and ended up finding a, a bus company that would be willing to let me go to Cambridge, if my, my memory serves me correct, for free. And were you comfortable asking people for free stuff at the time? Or did,
0: is that something you had to kind of overcome and, and kind of get used to?
1: Well, I couldn't accept money. So you couldn't mm-hmm. give me money. And it was difficult to ask people. But when you have no choice, because I'd put, I would know, contrived a situation where I had no choice, you have no choice. So you better get someone to help you or you're going to be in a bit of a pickle.
0: Right, because you, uh, you growing up as a as a loner and all of that, it doesn't sound like you were very much of a people person. You no. would be the type of person to go up to someone and strike up a conversation and talk about the things that you talk about on your show, and you know, make people laugh and then ask them for something. I mean, that takes a lot of of confidence and a lot of gall and a lot of just a lot of things that people like the way you describe yourself as a kid. You don't have, so I'm just curious where that even comes from is it just from the decision to do it or is there something else
1: it's really it's partially the decision to do it i mean i'm actually an introvert you know me <laughs> you know me. Right. you know me you know me yeah. away from the camera you know i'm very quiet i don't really speak that much but then you see me on camera and you're like whoa this what the hell happened you know? right it's because can't, can't i can't shut know. you up yeah yeah exactly but generally, I'm I'm introverted. I used to be very very shy. Uh, my parents would throw parties, and I would go out to my room and just sit there for like hours whilst the party was going on.
0: Mm-hmm. And was your you said you said we did a test run? So the guy, your friend, was filming this the test yes, run. Yes, yes, yes. He was filming it. Just you
1: and him. Well, no. At that stage, we had him, one other cameraman, and someone else. So there were like four of us.
0: And you and him hatched the plan like this is how we're going to do it. You're going to go ask someone. I'm going to sit, stand back and film you asking and then I'm going to – we're both going to get in the car together. We're going to make sure it's okay and all. Is that how it kind of went down?
1: Look, basically I said, let's do this. They said to me, you're insane. It's not going to work. I said, all right, let's see what happens. And I went up to people and just started talking to them.
0: And it was – you guys had a little makeshift teaser show out of that experience i'm assuming
1: yeah yeah and we got very lucky i mean you know we try to sell it and people were like oh kindness doesn't sell kindness doesn't sell okay and and at the last minute the national geographic international bought it which was quite extraordinary and that was it and it, it you know and it was a, it was a we were very 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 lucky what did
0: you learn from the test that you implemented in the actual cross-country america trip
1: that it could be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, that it could be done.
0: There's nothing that you did that you felt, oh, you know what, we need to do this differently when we do it in America? No, really, not really. When, not real really.
1: No, just go up to people, talk to them, c- connect with them, find something in common, tell them this crazy adventure, and a lot of them will try and help. Some of them won't, but a lot of them will.
0: And did you tell your family about this at
1: all at the time? Yeah, yeah. No, I told them. Uh, they thought it was a bit strange, but, you know. I understand that. But here we are, 15 years later, and it's not very strange anymore. How were you funding yourself during that time? Well, when I left the brokerage firm, I did not leave penniless. So we'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right.
0: So... You do the cross-country trip in America. That was 15 years ago. You wrote a book about it, right?
1: I did. Amazing Adventures of a Nobody. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> did you write the book yourself or?
1: Yes. Yes, I wrote the book myself. I mean, I had uh, editing help, but I wrote the book myself.
0: And did you have any idea that you were going to do something else after all of that? Or, or what was the process that led to Kindest Diaries?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I did. I thought to myself, I, I've got a show on National Geographic. I'm going to arrive in Hollywood. I'm going to go to the agents. They're going to be like, oh, my God, we love you. Let's sign you. They're going to send me out to all the TV channels. And all the TV channels are going to be like, oh, my God, we love you. Here's a new show. But, you know, none of that happened. I went to the agents and they were like, well, we don't really think you're very good. And therefore, I couldn't get to to, to selling the show. So nothing happened. My legend status never happened. And I ended up working behind a desk again for quite some time.
0: What was the feedback? Why didn't they think you were good?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. They never actually told me. I mean, I think it was the first show we'd ever done. You're in Hollywood. You may come to Hollywood thinking that you're like, going to be good, but there's hundreds of people that are better, and uh, they've been doing it for years. It was just very difficult to, to get anyone to, to listen to me. I mean, no one did. I had a few, a few agents, a few managers, but they were just useless.
0: Hmm. So now you're you're you set up a production company. You and this guy. No, just me. Correct. Just, just me. you. And yeah. what are you producing?
1: We're producing tra- travel shows. We're distributing TV stuff like that. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, it was not what I wanted to do.
0: What was your mental state at that at that moment in time? You'd already you've broken away. Now you've explored the hitchhiking thing, how were you feeling about yourself, about your life, about your future?
1: Look, on some level, I was living in Hollywood. I was living the dream, but I felt there was so much more. There was so much more to do. I mean, I was living, let's call it, it wasn't a selfless dream. It was a mm-hmm. dream for me. And there was mm-hmm. no shows. There were no books. There was a few, but it wasn't about touching lives. It was just about right. living my own dream. And that became stale after a while. And I realized there was a lot more to it than just living my dream. It was, if I was living my dream, but other people weren't benefiting from it, then it really wasn't a dream at all. Did you have any mentors around this time? Anyone oh, who absolutely. you were who yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. guiding you? Who, who, yeah, was, yeah, I had, who were some of your mentors? I had a guy called Ted that was a bit of a genius in his own way. Still talk to him. I had therapists, life coaches, Lots of people that helped me be the person I am today. Without them, I wouldn't be the person I am for sure. Mm. And how did that journey evolve into
0: the next project?
1: So I did a couple of other shows. I, I walked from the Eiffel Tower to Red Square in Moscow. I did a show for MTV. I wrote a few. Wait, books. I didn't hear
0: about this. You walked from the Eiffel Tower to the Red Square in Moscow. That yeah. was a
1: show. Yeah that was season three of amazing adventures of a nobody so you didn't want to you don't want to hitchhike anymore you you, you switched well, over to walking well I walked and hitchhiked so I hitchhiked I started by walking and kind of if when I could hitchhike I didn't when I walked I walked
0: so you've done this three or four times now at this point you've done it a little bit in the, in the UK you've done it in America you've now done it in throughout Europe, right? Yes. You said that was season 3. So what was season 2? America. Season 1 was England. Okay. So that you're feeling like I can this is this is just normal for you now at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you can you can literally tell me to go anywhere in the world and give me like a challenge. Say within half an hour I want you to be invited into someone's house. And I'm telling you, within 15 minutes, within 10 minutes, I want you to be invited into some stranger's house. And I'd be like, fine, all right. And within within ten minutes, someone would invite me into their house.
0: Is there a formula for making that for inspiring someone to invite you into their house? What's what are the (laughs) steps? Like, say, say, someone else wanted to run that experiment. Can it be replicated by
1: following a certain formula? The formula is connection. Find a way to connect with someone and have a story. And if you do those two things. Not everyone says yes, of course, of course. Most people say no. But you will always find that one person. They'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, why not? Come on then.
0: Now you talked about in in the kindness diaries, which we'll get to in a moment, you talked about learning about the importance of having a story from a very unlikely character.
1: (laughs) Do you remember that? I remember Dom and Dominica Fox. How on earth (laughs) could I forget that? So basically – I was in Times Square for the first trip across America, and I was having a serious problem. No one was helping me. No one. And I, I started chatting with these, this African-American chap and, and what I thought was his girlfriend. And the guy said to me, he said, look. I told him, look, I keep failing. And he said, look, you need to have a story. Everyone needs to have a story. That's why you're not being helped. And I never forgot that. So I used, now how did you not you, – you said you, you've done this three times before. So, obviously, no, no, you No, 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 no. No, no. America was the second time.
0: Okay. So, so that the, happened during your second your second exactly trip. Exactly.
1: In America. So, maybe got it was it. different. Maybe my tricks or whatever you want to call them were working in America, but they worked in England because I got their, 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 their psychology, but I didn't get the psychology of the Americans. Mm-hmm. It turns out that he was a pimp and that she was <laughs> uh, working – very closely with him let's leave it at so that so you
0: you had approached him about asking for help and then he told you hey man you don't have a
1: story i can't help you basically yes okay he, he ended up helping me and they wanted to come to the hollywood sign with me but i, I was like look guys you know you're sorry but you can't come to the hollywood sign with
0: me. right okay so you connect with someone which means you see them right you acknowledge them in
1: some way Yes, you acknowledge them, you make them feel at ease, you connect with them, you tell them a story, and then you say, can I stay in your house? And they're like, (laughs) no, you can't, sorry. Or they say yes. Yes.
0: So in the in the times that, that it failed and you were getting rejected even though you were following the formula, would you would you talk that up to just you didn't
1: follow the formula well enough or people are just a little bit too afraid? No, however, how much you know, whatever formula you use, if you're on the street and you're asking a random person to stay in the house, the chances are they're gonna say no. But, you know, after a while you'll find someone that says yes. That's another part of the formula. Just keep on going. Just never give up.
0: <laughs> Don't stop. Okay. No, just All right. keep going. So let's talk about your kindness diaries, which ended up being season one on Netflix, which is you and kindness one. What What, what was the genesis of that experiment? And take us through the mentality, the psychology behind
1: that kind of bigness of, of the project. Yeah, I mean, you know. That was something that was just I – I, I do not understand how on earth we had the courage and the bravery to do that because that was insane. That was taking a vintage yellow motorbike with a sidecar. I think the bike was 30 years old, something like that, and driving it from LA all the way around earth back to LA <laughs> with no money, no food, no gas, no place to stay. I mean it's completely insane. And two oceans in between – yes two oceans in between
0: well, we did it i mean you know had you had we, some sort of personal development course before that that kind of t- helped you to understand that if you thought that big that you could do something like that or maybe you had to pick an impossible task what
1: led to that idea it was really frustration on some level because i again i I'd, I'd been working in in hollywood and and, and You know, people weren't paying any attention, which is fine. You know, that's Hollywood. You know this. There's so many people that are vying for other people's attention, and most of the time, you don't get it. So I I couldn't get any shows. I couldn't, nothing was happening. And then one day, the PG 13 version of what I said was, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I have to do (laughs) this myself. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I came up with this idea, and I just said, let's do it. And it was insane. One One of the examples of insanity is, We were told that when you get to Thailand and Vietnam, they will not allow the bike in. And we were like, ah, forget it. Let's deal with that when we get to Vietnam and Thailand.
0: Right. Okay. You were told at the beginning, at the very beginning. Yes. Okay.
1: So we arrive in Thailand and we spend like hours trying to get the bike through. And we we managed to get it through. Yeah. And we managed to get it through into Cambodia. Okay. By some fluke. And then we arrive in Vietnam, and by this time, we've forgotten that we were told that you can't take the bike in. And we arrive in Vietnam, and they say you can't have the bike. The bike can't come through. And we just have like, you know, we're like, whoa, what the hell? What, what the hell are we going to do? This isn't L.A. to Vietnam. It's L.A. around the world back to L.A. But we found a way. We found a way because we just didn't give up. We're like, no, we're not giving up. And at the end of the day, the American ambassador got involved in getting the bike into Vietnam and out of Vietnam, into Canada.
0: That's incredible. Let's go back a little bit more though. Okay. So you have the idea, you have the idea, I'm assuming for a bike with a little side carriage in the very, is that a part of this, this mental sketch in the very beginning yes, or is that, Yes. Yes. And where do you find, how do you, where do you find a yellow vintage bike
1: you know what las vegas is where you find it (laughs) can't remember how i found it but i went uh found it i went to vegas i got on a plane went to vegas bought the bike without exaggeration within one minute of giving the guy the cashier's check the bike broke i was like okay this is bad he fixed it and i drove it back to la and it broke 45 miles away from LA. So I was like, at this time I had money, so it didn't matter. I could fix it. But I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? How on earth am I going to get across the world with no money on a bike that keeps breaking down? I feel like that became sort of a... The bike was a
0: character in the show and the fact that it broke down was kind of the the kind of stock plot point in every episode. It it wasn't a matter of if it was going to break down. It's how is it going to break down? Where is this guy going to be when it breaks down and what's he (laughs) going to do to fix it? That's why
1: I did it. Have you ever seen uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No, but I know I'm familiar with it. Dick Van Dyke, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's about a car that flies and I grew up with that movie and it was amazing. I've seen it hundreds of times. So, I created Kindness One as a character in the show. Mm. I remember once I was at a party in the Hollywood Hills, and I go up, and the guy looks at me, and the, the bouncer looks at me, and he says, Oh my God, you're the captain of Kindness One. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm the captain of Kindness <laughs> that's One. That's who you
0: are. Right. That's your claim to fame. So, you get the bike back. You guys have a production, like a schedule. We're going to start on this day. We're going to, it's going to take.
1: How long do you think it was going to take in the planning stages? About six months. We ended up; it ended up taking five and a half months. Okay. And
0: how does one prepare for that for a trip? Because that's different from your hitchhiking and walking across Europe. So how do you how do you sort of mentally prepare yourself for this and for having to ask for gas money and you know all of the things
1: that you're going to need along the way? To be honest, the way I prepared was not to think about it. I only thought about what I really needed to think about. Like, for example, we needed to cross the oceans for free. So we called mm-hmm. up lots of ocean uh, container ship carriers, and uh, we found one person, one company that was willing to help us. I had to pre-plan that. But the planning of what I was about to do, I didn't plan it because it was just so anxiety-producing that there was no point in planning it. So I just left on the, on that morning, and I was like, okay, this is it. And you're
0: also not just planning for you. You're planning for a whole crew of people who are going to well,
1: be following you and recording you. Yeah, that part they would do. So, I wasn't really involved in the planning of that. They would plan that. I was involved in my own planning. And, yeah, sometimes they would say to me, look, you know, there's a dangerous region here. We can't go there. I'm like, okay, no worries. We won't go there. But, you know, they were in charge of that. I wasn't in charge of, you know, finding them hotels and stuff like that.
0: Right. the other thing is I noticed that with your show, and this probably was done just for, for entertainment value, you would always go to the major tourist areas, which one would think if you're looking for someone to be kind and to offer you a place to stay, you wouldn't go to one of those areas. You'd go to some other local area. So was that something that was a deliberate
1: thing or how, how did you actually plan the routes? I guess I just went to the places where there were lots of people. So, if I was in New York, I'd start in Times Square. If I was in Istanbul, I'd go to the Hagia Sophia. But if I was in a place where there were no people, then I'd go to the main square. So, I would always kind of gravitate to the place where there were the most people and go out from there. And what was the ratio like of
0: converting someone into a kindness, expressing uh, been, uh, someone had to help you in, on, uh, with a place to stay or, or some food to eat? How many people would you have to ask? To get to that person, if I asked ten people, nine would say no. And was that a pretty constant thing around the world, or was it more
1: more in certain countries? Pretty much, but you know, it's not because they were mean. Some of them maybe were unkind, but it was because they had they had families. They w- didn't feel safe. They were like, "Who's this weirdo?" Whatever it was, but it would take about ten times to get one person to say yes. But you know, it's fine. They would say yes, and then the magic would happen.
0: Mm. And during the trip are you in a different mental state because you're now in it you're living this thing you're basically the real life manifestation of Che Guevara are you
1: how are you feeling inside Look it's a crazy adventure but it's not easy it's very very difficult every single day you don't know where you're going to sleep you don't know what you're going to eat you don't know if the car's going to or the bike's going to blow up I mean yes you have these amazing moments but it's a it's a, it's a tough journey, but it's worth it, and it's worth it more so for me because people get to watch the show, and hopefully they get inspired. And hopefully but you didn't know elect- there was going
0: to be a show at that point,
1: right? You were no, hoping there no. was going to be a show. Yeah, but no, I didn't. But you know, I hoped there'd be a show, and uh, I knew that there was uh, there was no way I was going to let there not be a show, even if it meant I had to give it away for free. Uh, the, the whole point was to get people to watch it and to be touched by it. And was it completely self-financed or do you have sponsorships and things like that? Season one was self-financed. Season two was not self-financed.
0: All right. So then you get back six months later. You make it back to uh, Los Angeles. Drive up your driveway. Park your bike, Kindness One, in the garage, I think, which is where I think I saw it. It's in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> What happens next? What's that like?
1: Well, man, you know this better than most, and that is that when you go on an amazing adventure and you come back to everyday life, it's an adjustment. you know you've been on the road, you've experienced magnificence you've seen you've literally humanity. seen the world, yeah, and yeah. humanity yeah, and then you and then you come back and you, you're like, "Well, now, what am I going to do so it's sometimes depressing. 'Cause you
0: had no plans, right, for after your trip. You just you're back now, you obviously you're in post production. But mentally I know you there's something that happened with your dog. There's something that happened with your girlfriend. Yeah. You can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Well my girlfriend left me <laughs> and my dog unfortunately died. That was sad. I was I was more sad about my dog dying to be honest with you. Yeah, like I don't know. Have you ever had a dog? I have dated
0: girls who have had dogs that I've gotten very close to. So okay. I've never so owned you one know. myself.
1: It's like, it's like there's a connection that you have with these animals that is so heart centered.
0: Hundred uh, percent.
1: Yeah. That, when, that when, when I've broken little, up,
0: the thing I most,
1: the, that I missed the most were the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I would think about the dogs every day. Yeah, I get it. So you kind of, you know, it's, a, it's like it touches your heart in a very special way. So, were you? Did you find yourself sort of slipping
0: back into that kind of darker state?
1: A, a little bit, not nowhere near what it was, but there were moments. I mean, there were definitely there were some moments actually that were not pleasant. But uh, you know, it's 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 interesting, man. You know, sometimes I, I feel not shy to share my pain because everyone has pain. But there there were there were many people. There were many people who will say to you, "Oh, you have everything in the world." Don't be so uh, – what's the word?
0: Down on yourself or down on life.
1: Yeah, or- exactly. Exactly. Is it hard um, to
0: relate to people after a trip like that and to do normal stuff like go to the grocery store or
1: you know use a, use a phone again? Do you know what, Light? I'm going to ask you that question. Absolutely. I'll ask you that question because you know this better than most. You've seen this, man. You've experienced this. You've been out in the world. You've had to come back every day, every every time – you know the answer to that question. I mean, that's a
0: life-changing adventure, you know, to have to come back from. I, I, I can only equate it to maybe have you know going to the moon or something like that, and then coming <laughs> back, <laughs> and then you're walking down the aisle in the drugstore or something like that, and you're just thinking, "Wow, this is so so bizarre." And I, I have to say, I do, I do feel like that, and because I'm I'm traveling now around the world a lot, and. You know, doing normal things is is difficult. One thing about you, though, that I haven't quite gone that far is you've you've you you now have like a flip phone, or you have like some kind of old phone. To talk a little bit about the process of moving away from the smartphone and into back to the old school Nokia
1: or whatever it is. Well, we live in a world that is consumed by feelings of being disconnected because we all have these phones, and I do my best to stay disconnected because our phones take us away from our humanity yes they do some marvelous things as well but I will go out with my flip phone and I will not be consumed by looking at my Instagram or I will not be consumed by looking at my Facebook and that doesn't mean there aren't times when I am consumed by the internet of course there are I'm just exactly like you and exactly like the people that are listening to you, to us today but try turning your phone off. Next time when you go out, leave your phone at home and go and have dinner. And by the time you come back, you'll feel so much fresher. It's like a mini journey doing that for a lot of people these days. Yes I mean, it is. We're so, yes it
0: is. We're so tethered to mm-hmm. our phones. So you came back, then you you started giving speeches and talks and you started – you wrote another book. You wrote wrote two more books actually, Go Be Kind and then the one before that, which was The Travel – what was that one called again? The Kindest diary. Oh,
1: Live, Love, Explore.
0: Live, Love, Explore. And you've become sort of the kindest guy. Like that's a lot of people probably know you as the kindest guy. You got your show on Netflix, right? And then you began to plot your next adventure, which became season two of The Kindest Diaries. Yes, indeed.
1: Indeed it did. Season two, I I drove a 50-year-old beetle from Alaska in the middle of winter to the bottom of the earth in Argentina in a place called Ushuaia. And I remember being in Alaska in minus 30 in a 50-year-old beetle with no heating. And I was literally, again, this is the PG-13 version of what I was saying to myself. I was like, why are you doing this to yourself? Again, please. And the answer <laughs> the answer that kept coming back was like, you're doing this because people are going to watch the show. People are going to be inspired. People are going to listen to your speeches. People are going to take what you've done and do something similar themselves. That's why you're doing it. And I couldn't argue with that. I was like, fine, fine, okay, keep going. Do you have a story of someone who's done
0: something that was inspired by one of your journeys,
1: like something pretty on a large scale like that? Yeah. I mean, there was this one guy that watched the show and started uh, a charity and he was going around America giving free, uh, he would make, do people's lawns. It's just one of the things. And he, he was on TV and he's like, one day someone sent it to me and said, look, have you seen this i'm like no it's like you should watch it and i'm like why is some guy doing someone's lawns like yeah but watch it and listen to why he's doing someone's lawns i was like all right i'll watch it and the guy says oh i watched the kindness diaries and i was inspired so i wanted to do something to help the world make the world a better place and i mean you know uh, i had a flashback to freezing my ass off in alaska and i was like there you go there you go that's why i did this how is the jig not
0: up? I mean, people now have seen this, right? So now you're doing this trip in season two, going from Alaska. Haven't people seen you on Netflix or heard about you? Or
1: Some, some of them have. Some of them have. And Did it make it easier to not get people really. to help you? Not really, because cause most of them hadn't seen it, to be honest.
0: Really? They don't just go pull out their phones and just like search your name and when you say, hey, can I stay, stay at your place? I mean, that's a, what I would do.
1: I don't tell them who I am. Ah, what do you say? I don't say, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm on the kindness diaries. We'll say, look, we're doing a show, uh, I'm traveling around the world relying on kindness. Can you help? And look, there are some times when I'm so desperate, right? That I'll be like, just, you know, here you go. Look at your phone. Just, just take your <laughs> phone out and look at, look at me. Please right. give me a place to stay. But nine 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 times out of ten, we just don't go down that road. There's no point because then it becomes not real. And you know there's a twist at the end of each episode where we give back. And if they know who I am, they're going to be kind to me. They're going to be like, oh, maybe I'm going to get something.
0: Right. So speaking of which, you've given out all of these sort of gifts now and helping people realize their dreams how many times have you done that? How many of those experiences have you now participated in? Do you have like an Excel
1: spreadsheet with everybody's contact information? Yeah. Like how, how do you keep up with all of that? Well, there's two seasons, 13 episodes each season. So, there's 26 episodes. So we've those given are the just 20- the
0: ones on the shows. You've given more than that, I'm assuming, and those are like the best
1: ones. Yes, yes. But the majority of them were on the show. Some of them weren't. So it's around that number. That, that's how many people we've helped.
0: Have you been tracking the long-term effects of, of these gifts? Or have they all kind of continued to turn out pretty
1: well? Or some of them interesting I've tracked, stories? some of them I haven't. Yeah, there mm. was a, episode seven, season one, d the rickshaw driver. You know, he's Love now- that one. Yeah, what a legend. Uh, he's my friend. I mean, every time I go to Delhi, he comes in his rickshaw and picks me up. You know, he's moved houses to a bigger house. He's set up like a, a community of rickshaw drivers that help people. I mean, it's amazing.
0: So season two lasted for about the same amount of time? Three months? No, season, months?
1: Season, two was, season two was three and a half months. It was less. Okay. So you've driven around the world,
0: around the lati- – what is it called? Latitudal direction and the longitude Toodle, what? What are yeah. the correct term? I don't know what they're called, but I know what you mean.
1: <laughs> what's next? Well, we're. I'm sure you've been thing, thinking about that. If you can even say what's next. Scotland to Singapore. Okay. I know it's the same, but it is what it you're is. You're gonna do a. <laughs> you're gonna do a scooter, or what's the vehicle gonna be? It's gonna be a yellow submarine. Are you serious? No, I'm joking. okay (laughs) can you can you announce what the vehicle is yet or not really I don't know what it'll be it may just be Kindness 2 again to be honest because Kindness 2 even though it kept breaking down didn't break down as much as Kindness 1 what about Cape Town to Cairo anything like that in the works we've certainly thought about doing that it's it's a bit dangerous to be honest with you (laughs) so we're not sure that that's very clever okay
0: Well, we're winding up the conversation. Um, There are people out here who have obviously are inspired by you, you, Leon, and your journey. What's something that you would say to someone who's listening to all of this and, and, and having their own sort of motorcycle diaries moment in their life? What advice would you give to them?
1: Do your very best not to be 97 years old on your deathbed looking back at your life and not having lived. Okay, what about someone who doesn't have a family
0: business, maybe they don't have a lot of money at all and they're having that kind of feeling and urge to do
1: something bigger. What would you say to them? I would say exactly the same thing. It would be the same thing. It'd be like go out and live. Go out and live your life. Go out and touch some hearts. Go out and and be magnificent. Don't wake up at 65 and be happy because you've left a job that you've hated for 45 years. What kind of a life is that? And I'm not saying it's easy. It isn't, right. you know, but embrace your pain. Face your pain. And through your pain, you will find freedom. It's not easy. There'll be times, you know, like the name of your um, podcast, you know, people say, oh, at the end of the tunnel is light. Okay. But most people walk through a tunnel, and they never see the light, and they give up. But all they need to do is keep on walking. Right. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much
0: for joining the podcast, Leon. Thank you guys for for listening. We will create links to all of your shows in the show notes. And you're pretty active on social media. Is that you that's actually posting and stuff on social media? Yes, yes, Okay, how can people find find you on
1: social media? At the Kindness Guy on Facebook and Instagram, at the Kindness Guy. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes as well.
0: And keep doing your thing, keep shining your light, and we'll be following you along
1: the journey. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I hope Leon's amazing story inspired you to incorporate more kindness and genuine connection in your life. And to truly see the people that you cross paths with each day. And a big thank you to Leon for coming on the show and for opening up and talking about some of the more vulnerable aspects of life that people don't often get asked in these podcast interviews. One of my goals with starting at the end of the tunnel was to show how even the people who do big things are facing many of the same mental and emotional challenges that many of us are facing on a daily basis. And if they can potentially heal themselves through living a more purposeful life, then so can we. To hear more stories like Leon's, make sure you're subscribed to At the End of the Tunnel. And to keep us searchable for others, please rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. You can also find links to everything Leon and I discussed in the show notes below. And I can't wait to share more inspirational interviews with you all, so please make sure you stay tuned. New episodes will come out each week. Thanks again for listening. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email you'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.